All right, we're back riding the pine with a lefty and the coach. Week three here today, presented by Roots of Fight. Hey, I love your hoodies. Please send me one. Uh, but Al, <laughs> another great, great day here. We've been a great few days of basketball. Um, but before we start, I do have my cold open here. I have a few national media members to talk about. Um, Ryan Rosillo, Bill Summons. Hey, Jared won Defensive Player of the Year, so stop talking. It doesn't matter that Evan Mobley played more or, you know, had a better defensive rating. Guess what? Jared had averaged three blocks a game. Three. It's like it's the most in Grizzlies history, and I think it's in the top ten since the ABA-NBA merger. That's literally about 50 years. So, uh, yeah, he deserved the award. He arguably should have won it last year. They kind of screwed him out of it. I will not get into that. But um, it's just amazing, Al, that, you know, there were people that said, well, Evan Mobley deserved it. And their argument was he played more minutes. Congrats. Does that mean Mikhail Bridges needs to win MVP because he played all 82 games? I mean, LeBron won the MVP in 11-12. He played 62 games. That's the league's highest award. The MVP, most valuable player, he played 62 games. You know Jaron played to win defensive player of the year? 63. He played one more game. I mean, it's just I understand that you think Mobley's good. And, hey, I'm not here to say it. Mobley's not. I think he's a great player. I, I think he is extremely important to that Cleveland team. But Jaron was the best defensive player in the league. There's absolutely no doubt in my mind he was the best defensive player in the league. I think he's been the best defensive player for the last two years, but that's just my opinion on the subject. Yeah, I would, I would, I'd have to agree with that for sure. Just I know Mobley's he's a huge part to the Cleveland Cavaliers, but just when you come on, when you think about length and just the ability to move laterally, the ability to block shots, the ability to rebounds, they it was. It was a big thing early in his career, but Jaron, they talked about just his size. He needed to put on weight, put on strength. But I would say his physicality and his his ability to guard, you know, big guys in the post and hold his own and force them into tough shots and contest a lot of shots and block a lot of shots, he's one of the toughest defenders to go against in the NBA for sure. Well, I think you hit the nail on the head what you said early and what you were saying. Lateral quickness. Jared, watching Jaron cover ground from block to block, I mean, it it looks like he's a, he covers it like a guard. I mean, he's just he's so agile. And then you add in his length, his length is just next level. But yeah, again, that was my opinion on it. And again, I love Ryan Marcello. I love Bill Simmons. I think they are absolutely amazing. But they are completely wrong on this for their reasoning. Not that they wanted Mobley to win Defensive Player of the Year. I have no problem with that. That's your opinion. But your reasoning is he played more minutes. Congrats. You know, I, again, right. I'll get off my soapbox for that one, but that's my, uh, that's my uh, cold open for the night. Well, one thing, one thing real quick about Jaron, too, just thinking about thinking through the kind of the lens of an NBA coach, assistant head, head coach, or even NBA scout, you hear guys talk about, you know, can he switch one through four? Can he switch one through five? Jaron's a true switch one through five type player. So, you know, his man goes up on a high step up or high side pick and roll. He's He has the ability to, to, to switch that and guard any player in the NBA and contest along too um, or, you know, make it a tough, tough driving lane to, you know, shoot over seven feet tall. So Absolutely. seven, nine wingspan. So 
he's he's got the he's got the intangibles and he's gonna be a he's gonna be a force to be reckoned with for for many years to come if he stays healthy. Seven nine wingspans, just absolutely unreal. Also, alert for everybody: we're recording this during the LA Phoenix game. Russell Westbrook has twelve, has thirteen points tonight. So I'm officially putting him on fifty watch. No, <laughs> I do not mean fifty points. I mean fifty shots. So if we, if you see uh, if the audience, to the audience, if you see our heads turning a little bit, that's probably what we're checking out real quick. He just probably to... hit a three or something. So but... well, we got. We got a nine-point Clippers lead with under six to go. Kawhi Leonard with the ball right now and just hit a two. So the Clippers are here to play. They are. I, and I tell you, Ellie's Sorry, hit a three. Like, hit a three to go up 12. And I, I guess, I, you know, we were going to start with the uh, – we were going to start with the Lakers and the Grizzlies. But I'll be honest, let's start with Cleveland. Let's start with Cleveland, uh, L.A. But, or not Cleveland, I'm sorry. Phoenix, L.A. Because – Okay, I let's mean, do it. This has actually been a great series. L.A. steals game one. And and really, you start thinking about it now, and it's, oh, crap. The Clippers have Kawhi Leonard. Like, mm. this is a guy, we and we talked about it on last week's show, this is a guy that when he gets going or when he just decides that, hey, I'm going to take the ball game over, he, he's one of the top five players in the NBA. He's that Absolutely. good. Absolutely. And uh, I know 2019, we talked about what, what, the, uh, what the Warriors lost in that series, losing Durant, losing Klay Thompson. But if you want to make these arguments between a guy that has one title in, um, in uh, Kawhi Leonard and then someone like KD, who, you know, they talk about how he's only won his titles because he's joined the Warriors, right? And he joined a team that was already successful. I would say, look, I, I, I kind of tend to lean with Kawhi. Kawhi. Kawhi showed up to a team. I know he has Pascal Siakam. I know he had some really good talent on that team. But I just think an X-factor type player that can go regardless of the players around him and make guys better, I would say Kawhi Leonard's up there for sure. Well, and, and you look at a guy like Kawhi, you bring up that Toronto team. That Toronto team is good. Let's let's. I'm, we're not sitting here saying that wasn't a good Toronto team. They right. had Fred Mendley. They had Pascal right. Siakam. They had Mark Gasol. Had Gasol, but, yep. Saying all that, Kawhi Leonard took games over in that, not just that series, not that playoffs. I mean, he took games over. You, we talked that's, about that's it. The Game 7 in in Toronto against Philadelphia, which a lot of people felt was the Eastern Conference Finals de facto, he took that game over. But, I mean, really, he took over the entire series against Milwaukee as I just watched him drive baseline and absolutely just jam it on DeAndre Ayton. Good defense there, DeAndre. He really showing off that. He's he's definitely got that look in his eye that, you know, they're here here to play and they're here to make a run in these NBA, NBA playoffs for sure. Well, look, it's Kawhi Leonard, Kawhi Leonard, it's funny. He's 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 quiet on the courts, and a lot of people are quiet about him off the court still. So I would love to see him make a run for sure. Uh, absolutely. And I think one thing that I think you need to discuss going forward, because you know, let's say, let's say LA pulls this out tonight. Let's say they they stick on this, they win, they go up 2 0. Right. I mean, we watched how Phoenix played last year on the road in the playoffs. It was awful. If they right. look like a completely different team and put themselves in the position that we saw, if they lose game seven, get blown out in game seven. 
Right. You know, I think you look at it, is this almost a Chris Paul legacy series? Is this, you know, because Durant's not fully healthy. I don't know what's going on with Devin Booker right now. But I mean, is this gonna is this the thing where can Chris Paul just absolutely take a series over and and drive a team to victory? I don't know that he's that type of player anymore. Right. He's gonna have to be this series though. Oh look, our old Grizzly friend. I think that's is that Jamichael? I don't I don't think so. Maybe not. He's just the only guy in that zero. So <laughs> well, I have to say Corey Craig. I've never even Chris- if Chris Paul, think about this. If Chris Paul stays with the uh, New Orleans Hornets that year that they take the Spurs to seven games, and he kind of builds his legacy there, and can and and maybe makes a run and gets to an NBA Finals, I think that's a lot bigger deal for him, and that would help. That would I think some doing something like that would help his legacy more than one Finals appearance with the Suns and then losing what four games in a row to Milwaukee. Well, and I'll say, I'll say this about Paul. I, he's a Hall of Famer. He's one hundred percent. There's no doubt. I thought he did a great job against Phoenix or with Phoenix in that Buck series because, you know, they were not they were not ready. They weren't. Right. No, everybody he kept them in the game said, with his experience for sure. Correct. Every everybody kind of said, "Hey, they're a year ahead of schedule," and then last year happens, and so. You know, I, I look at it as a thing where maybe um, I think he let his team down last year. I think now this year, maybe he doesn't have to be that guy that, you know, they have Durant. So maybe he doesn't have to be that guy that just absolutely takes a series over. But, I, you know, I think he's going to have to do it at some point. We're going to have to see vintage Chris Paul at some point in the series. He's going to have to take over because Booker right. is going to struggle. And it's going right. to have to be him and KD just take over. Right. And I will say, I think it's kind of a, a glaring obvious just when you think about it, the NBA and even the NBA playoffs and just how hard it is to win at this level. Regardless, to, regardless of if you have a big three or a big four, you got to have those role players. You got to have kind of those X factor players that can step up in big moments and help you win games. So, I mean, we talked about how good the Warriors were back. Um, when they were winning all their all their championships, I know they won last year, but kind of the early stretch where they were really getting on there in a rhythm and really winning a lot of games in the playoffs. Yeah, they had Clay Thompson. Yeah, they have Steph Curry. Yeah, they have guys like Iguodala, even KD at times for that for that kind of little bit of a run there. But they had X Factor type players like a Livingston, like even like a Bogut, um, like a like a Kevin Looney, people who can do kind of the dirty work. And, you know, when, 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 when defenses and other, other teams are keen on certain guys that can step up and make plays. Well, and you talk about role players. I think that segues us into the second series we're going to talk about. Uh, it's Memphis, LA. Right. Um, you talk about two role players who completely took over the ball game um, Sunday in Rui Hachimura and Austin Reeves. Right. Um, you know, I don't think you can expect realistically if you're L.A. or Memphis, I don't think you can expect Rui Hashimura and Austin Reeves to do what they did. If they do, the the Lakers can go ahead and be planning the championship parade because if they do that every game, then there's no way this team can be beaten. Um, You were obviously in the building. What was kind of the vibe in FedEx form Sunday, just from a standpoint of kind of 
it really felt like early, and this was me watching it, so I don't know, but it felt like early the Grizzlies, it just wasn't, you couldn't get the crowd in, it couldn't get the crowd in, and then they hit that run at the end of the third quarter, and it was kind of like, okay, we're good, and then obviously you come out in the third and Hachimura just absolutely takes over. Kind of what, what was the vibe in the arena during the early part and then when Hachimura and Reeves start taking over, and we'll obviously get to the jaw injury part things a bit later as well. Right, so it's funny that you say that because, you know, early in the game, first playoff game, the crowd's hyped. Uh, really good crowd inside uh, the forum. I wouldn't say it was completely sold out, but pretty close to it. Um, definitely uh, plaza level, kind of club level, the first two levels of the FedEx Forum, very very filled up. Uh, you know, fans are, fans are loud, fans are into it, fans are jawing at LeBron, ready to go at him. But it's funny, it took that first quarter was a little rough. That first quarter was a little rough. We were down five. Um, hit that run. Jaw hit jaw hit a couple threes. Jaw uh made a couple great little floaters. Um, Desmond Bain made a lot of good uh transition type baskets um in that second quarter. But uh that really after halftime, sorry, I was trying to gather my thoughts. Really after halftime. It took that the halftime crowd coming out for the last, or sorry, sorry for the first four or five minutes, kind of dead to be honest. It's like guys got stuck at the the uh, the food lines, the food courts, the drink lines, and to be honest, the war the the Lakers came out firing, and the Lakers put it on us in that in that third quarter and beat us by twelve. And if you remember, that third quarter is where a guy named Rui Hachimura started to get hot. Well, look, hey, look, now that Jim Neely's interstate barbecue line gets long at half in FedEx form. I've been there plenty of times myself. <laughs> hey, that's a – I'm hyping up – I'm hyping up the food court of the Grizzlies at the FedEx Forum. Great food, great drink options for sure. But we right. got to get the – we got to get the – we got to get those fans back in the stands. We we have LeBron James playing on the court. We have Anthony Davis playing on the court. We got to get our fans back in the stands ready to – ready to help our team pull out some wins. Well, and that's another thing I think you got to bring up is, you know, Anthony Davis goes down with an injury with about five minutes to go in the second quarter. And I think a lot of Grizzlies fans thought series over. I mean, you're, I'm watching it sitting there. On, they're talking about it on ESPN and ABC. Same, same it, shoulder he's hurt in the past. And Stephen A. Smith saying this series is over. Like the Lakers are done. Like Anthony Davis can't stay healthy. They're paying him all this money. And he comes out and he looks completely healthy. And you're just like, well, that was a complete waste of time. And then, I think now we get to what happened to Ja. Um, un, unfortunate. Uh, you know, I, I kind of – obviously, I've seen the, the everything that's been posted on Twitter and everything about, oh, we need to stop these charging calls and all this. I, I'm not at that point. But I, part I do of the game. Charge, do the charging foul is a part of the game. Everybody knows the rule. Everybody knows that when you're attacking the basket, guys are sliding over to get two feet outside the uh, charge circle, feet planted, ready to take charge. It's a part of the game, part of the game at every level. So guys got to adapt. I I agree. You know, I I guess it's because it happened to our guy. You know, it happened to our player. And so it's different in that situation. Um, But I don't don't think there's anything that can be done. I mean, these are athletes in their prime going at the goal, you know, and, and maybe you would say, well, they need to extend the charge, the charge area or the, the restricted area. But 
I don't think that changed anything. That just means players like Ja are going to take off even earlier. Like, I just right. I don't think that's going to change anything. But, um, you know, we go back to you were there. What was the vibe in the building when Ja is now? Kind of – it kind of went – it went quiet. I'll tell you that. went quiet. A lot of eyes on Ja because, obviously, he ran off the court, ran off the court, ran straight in the, uh, into the uh, tunnel, into the locker room, holding his hands. Um, you knew you knew right away that it was something serious. He didn't run to the bench. He ran straight to the straight to the tunnel, straight to the training room, um, back towards the locker room. So, and you know what? After he got hurt, you look at the you look at how the game went, and you know the crowd was not in it, and the players the players kind of you know I think lost their confidence because that you know that last you know three or four minutes of the game was just was just dunk, dunk after dunk for the Lakers. You know, so yeah, I was looking at these there. I was looking at these stats. Obviously, it's a one point game in the fourth. Um, and I don't want to be, you know, just the stat guy that is throwing a bunch of stats and numbers at everybody, but you look at like you look at like an Anthony Davis plus 27. Look, Anthony Davis was he was pretty dominant throughout the game, I thought, but you know, he got a couple of those baskets late, so those numbers are a little bit higher maybe than they should. Well, anybody on the anybody on the floor in the last three minutes for the Lakers is going to have ridiculous plus minus because I think right. the Lakers won like an eighteen zero run to close to win the game. Right, and games. then Jarrett Jarrett ended up minus fifteen, but but I will say Anthony Davis twenty two points twelve rebounds, LeBron twenty one points eleven rebounds, Austin Reeves twenty three points, Hachimura eleven for 14, 29 points plus twelve plus or minus, you know. Those guys just they they outperformed our guys. They they made shots when they needed to. They made their timely shot. LeBron hits a big shot um, at the end of the third quarter, hit a big three. So they just they hit shots when they needed to. When the crowd's trying to get to the game and trying to get the Grizzlies maybe a one or two point lead, um, or after the Grizzlies get a one one or two point lead, the Lakers would come right back down and answer. And you know it was just. That's kind. Of, that's kind of how you can sum up the game, and Desmond and Dylan, Desmond and Dylan combined five of nineteen from the three point line, twenty six percent. Like, I know it's one game, but we got to make shots. And the only two guys that were plus the whole game were Luke Kennard at plus eleven, and David Roddy at plus plus seven. And then you had uh, uh, Aldama, Aldama at minus twenty three. So I know Aldon gives you, you know, two big threes off the bench and another basket, um, kind of a slashing type basket. But you know, minus twenty-three. That's I don't know. That's I know I don't I know you can't base it all off numbers, but that might be something that the the Grizzlies staff can look at and really think about. You know, what is the best matchups? Because the NBA and this time of the game or this time of the playoffs being just as true, just a true matchup game. How can we get our matchups, our best matchup with the Lakers, who they have on the floor, and uh, figure out who who we can go to to help us win game two? Well, and you bring up Luke Kennard. I, the Grizzlies have to get him going. They absolutely – I think he was two for five for the game. And that's a guy that's got to take ten shots. He can't take five. He was one for four from three. He needs to be three or four for – or two or three for eight. Like, he needs to be taking more shots. And so – I think that's something you'll probably see Taylor and the staff look at a little bit more closely for game two. And again, I fully expect the Grizzlies to come out and play with their hair on fire tomorrow. Um, 
I'll, I'm, I say Ja plays. What's your thought? I think so, too. I think okay. Ja will play. Um, it'll be interesting to see um, if he starts. Um, I don't think he starts. I, I think he comes I, off the bench. To be honest, I think I think it wouldn't be crazy. It wouldn't be crazy to have Tyus start. I think Tyus, I think Tyus can be a huge part in that game, just getting in a rhythm. To be honest, I think maybe even a Tyus and Luke Kennard starting, I think those two guys could play well together when it comes to Tyus playing well off a of pick and roll and getting Luke Kennard some shots. So that might actually not be a bad a bad little duo to look for in game two. Right. But who knows? I'm, yeah. You know, I think, you know, I know Jaws your best player, but, you know, that hand, that right hand, that right hand, that, I mean, that's someone that we got to think about. So. Well, and look, going back to, we go back to last year, and I promise folks, we're not going to just solely focus on the Grizzlies, although we could. Um, I, I go back to last year, you know, you watched in game one, Taylor and the staff, they really got diced up by the T-Wolves. It was bad matchups, bad matchups. But you look at the mat, at the difference they play in game one to game two, it looked like they had an answer for everything the T-Wolves did. Right. So I fully expect the staff's going to come out with something different. Like we Desmond, said earlier, I, I don't Desmond. I don't know who we see. I would not be surprised if, as you said, we see something like four-guard lineup to just match. Because, look, at the end of the day, the Lakers, are they're going to play some form of – you know, Russell, probably Reeves, LeBron, Vanderbilt, and Davis. I don't – they right. may – Hachimura is coming off the bench. but Right. Hachimura is kind of their, their you know, their, bit, their spark plug off the bench when it comes to not really the effort-type plays that you look for off the bench, but the, the, the scoring. Well, and the they score, know that they're the not scoring to, The scoring to take advantage of a – uh, a Dylan out of the game, a a a Jaron out of the game, someone that can exploit the matchup, the defensive matchups that the Grizzlies have on him in kind of that second rotation. Absolutely, and, and again, you know they're not going to play Hachimura and Davis together because that that's literally going to clog their offense completely. Right, but you got to be you got to be excited about Jaron. Thirty-seven minutes. I know the, the high minutes worry me a little bit, but thirteen of 21, 31 points. Um, plus minus, I know he was minus 15, but you know, a couple, couple baskets at the end, Jaron was playing the way that I always really wanted him to play was just solidifying himself in the low block, solidifying himself in kind of the mid post area, pinch post, you know, 12 feet from the basket, um, back and down, a lot of drop step, physical type finishes at the rim. Um, a lot of step throughs with his left hand, so he he played a very physical and imposing imposed his will in the first half, and I think that's something that the Grizzlies it, it's good to have some confidence knowing you can you can get some some tough tough baskets out of him for sure. Yeah. So moving on a little bit, we'll move to the Kings and Warriors. I've watched almost every minute of this series. Uh, I think it's been one of the most entertaining series so far. A lot of that has to do with the crowd in Sacramento, which has just been absolutely insane. I'm, I'm not great. real sure any of them actually went home between game one and two. I think they may have just waited outside. Um, <laughs> I mean, this has just been – it's been a series where you look at – I mean, you look at, look at what you got from, you know, Monk. Look at what you got from Malik Monk last – you know, last night and then Saturday. I mean – you got a great. You've gotten two great performances 
out of this guy in two days, in two games now. There's a guy that hasn't played many play. I don't know that he's played in any playoff games. He may have played in one, but I mean, I mean, this is a guy last night he has and last night he plays 31 minutes off the bench. He has 18 points. You know, the other night he had, I mean, I think he had 26 or 27, if I'm not mistaken, the other night. Oh, game one. Game, game, game one. He had 30. Oh, he had 30 and Fox yeah, he had 30. 38. I mean, you look at – I did not see this coming. I'll be honest, I did not see this coming. He had 32, actually, 29 minutes, 32 points. Yeah. I don't, I don't think anybody saw Malik Monk playing the way he has played through two games, and he has been their X factor. He really has been their X factor off the bench. I mean, he's been able to play big minutes, and I think he's been able to let Harrison Barnes move two – you kind of move around Barnes. They've been able to go big with Lynn at times. And I really think they've just given Golden State a lot of problems because, as we know, Golden State doesn't like to play big. They want to play small. They want to play with the three guards, the four guards, right. if you include Green. And, you know, I, I right now, I, Sacramento may win this series. Now, I, I said earlier today, I still – I think Golden State could very well go on the – come home, win two – then get one in Sacramento. They're going to get one in Sacramento somewhere. But I, uh, if I'm Golden State, I, I'm not pressing the panic button. My, my hand's over at this moment. Right. I'm looking at uh, 8 of 23 for Curry and Clay on the road on uh, yesterday in, in Sacramento from the three-point from the three, from the three line. So I think that's something that – I think that's something that will improve at home. So – you lose by eight. You lose by eight. You're you're eight of twenty three from the three point line. You know if you hit if you hit four four of those shots, you're 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 in the game. So I think I think Golden State. I think Golden State gets game three. Yeah, that's, that's my prediction. But I I could see like like I said, um, obviously I had picked Golden State uh, in seven games, um, pulling it out. So I think this is still a seven game series for sure. Yeah, and I changed my opinion because I think I said it's six or I may have even said five, but I, I definitely see this as seven now. I still do have Golden State winning. Now, have you seen have you seen the Draymond foul? I mean, have you looked at it? I I have looked at it's, it. I, it's I was, so close. I don't think they're going to end up doing anything. I, again, though, it's Draymond, so I don't 100% know. Yeah, last year, obviously, uh, Dylan and, you know, uh, um, GB3, um, or GP3. Um, I think when you have an incident where a guy's in the air and he, you know, is in kind of a, uh, you know, a position of he can't really protect himself, like, you know, in that, in that instance where uh, GP3 is going up to try to dunk the ball, you know, Dylan trying to, Dylan trying to, you know, which you're taught, you're taught, you're taught at that level. And even, even from middle school to high school to college, like big time basketball, you're taught, don't let a guy get an easy basket. Don't let a guy get an easy basket, make them have to earn it from the foul line. So in that case, you know, Dylan, did he foul the guy hard foul uh, Gary hard um, GP three? Absolutely. Um, did he deserve probably a, a game suspension? He probably did, but in these playoff games, it's physical. So. To be honest, you know, Draymond did step on him. I mean, there's no, de there's no denying that. But 
but uh, DeMontes Sabonis did grab his foot. So, you know, it goes both ways. I don't know if you can really side with either guy and try to protect either guy. I would just say, hey, it's part of the playoffs. Let's get over it and let's let's go play basketball. Well, and I think I think that's a that's another thing I think you got to look at is look playoff basketball is just another animal. It's not the regular season. I mean, these guys every possession you see it it's playing hard, playing hard. And I'll tell I look people if you don't like the NBA, I get it, but I promise you, if you like basketball, watch these playoffs because these playoffs. I mean, right? Do I feel like game, some series, two games, and some like this has been wildly entertaining. Absolutely, I feel like you know like a 114-106 type game. I'm looking at Sacramento and Golden State from yesterday. I mean, that's a good, solid basketball game. I mean, like two teams battling, two teams playing physical, the referees letting them play. I think letting the referees – I think the referees, you know, you make – you can't really – you can't really pass up on calls in that situation when it comes to Draymond and Sabonis. You kind of have to, you know, nip that in the butt early. Because yeah. you don't want that stuff to continue. Because I think it's going to be a seven-game series. You don't want that stuff to continue. You kind of want to show guys where the line is. And, you know, when you're a player, it's your job to kind of test that line and see where it is. See what you can see what you can get away with. See what you can get away with. That's part of sports. And that's part of a competitive environment. When guys are getting paid to play, what do you expect? Like, this is their future on the line. This is a lot of money at stake. This is a lot of future contracts at stake. This is the opportunity to go win NBA championship. Like, hey, you're going to do whatever it takes to win. And I think this is something that, look, this is this is this is what you want in a playoffs. You want two guys battling and two guys scrapping and clawing to get wins for their team. Absolutely, and we'll run through the other playoff series real quick. Uh, Boston up 2-0. I think we both predicted sweep. Boston over Atlanta. Yeah, um, I think that's a I think that's a clean sweep. I really do. do. Nets 76ers, 76ers up 2-0. I kind of believe that's probably going to be clean sweep. Um tonight we had the Knicks and the Cavs. Cavs easily dispatched the Knicks tonight to go up 107-90 or not, I'm sorry, go up to tie the series at one. They beat them 107-90. And then tomorrow we'll have Heat Bucks. Heat up one nothing. Nuggets, Timberwolves, Nuggets up one nothing. The only thing I really have to add is I think the Heat sandbagged uh, the first play in game so they could get the Bucks, but uh, that's going to be a completely different series now with with Tyler Hero out unless we see playoff or bubble Jimmy show up. And I haven't done my research on Giannis yet. Um, I guess I've been focusing more on Ja, just being you know from Memphis, rooting for rooting for the Grizzlies. But have you heard anything about Giannis? I'm pretty sure they expect him to play. Expect him um, to play. I think Woj has kind of reported out that they're pretty sure he's played. I see the line is still at um, still at minus six. Now this thing okay. says he's Bucks minus, uh, Bucks minus six to Bucks win. minus six. But this thing, this ESPN says he's doubtful, and that was updated today. So you know, and then obviously Hero, that's a big loss for the for the Heat. Well, and you know Kyle Lowry is doubtful. Um, but if Giannis doesn't play now, that changes everything. I mean, if that happens, you're looking at Giannis having to go, not 100% Giannis having to go absolutely superhuman over for four games to get wins. I don't know if they can do it. If Giannis doesn't play tomorrow, Milwaukee, Miami wins, that may be curtains for this series. Right. What about um, 
What's happened to Duncan Robinson for the for the Heat? I think they finally figured out that he's not that great of a shooter. Um, like he just kind of got on a heater and they paid him off his heater. But hey, good for you. You got paid. <laughs> right. I'm just saying, I'm just thinking of some guys that could step up for the heat. Yeah. Down, down those guys. But it'll be interesting to watch for sure. Well, and, and I'll look at the minutes real quick the other night. And Jimmy plays 43 minutes. <clears throat> That's absolutely stupid. Bam out of bow plays 33. Vincent plays 33. Struss plays 38. Uh, Martin plays 26. Love. Kevin Love. Everybody forgets. Hey, Kevin Love's on this thing. He's got finals experience. Like, he plays 23 minutes. Um, but, you know, those are guys you're, you're going to have to look at guys like Struss, like Love, like Vincent. Guys like that are going to have to pick up the, the slack if you got guy, a guy like Tyler Hero and a guy like Cal Lariat. And, and those are both guards. Love's obviously a forward. But you got to move some people around and be kind of, you know, I guess a little bit, uh, you know, you get well, I, I guess, wrecked a little bit. I trust, I trust Pat Riley and I trust Eric Spolstra. Those guys, you know, they're, they're seasoned vets for Absolutely. sure. Absolutely. So they, they know how to win. They know how to win at, in, at the biggest stage. So that's going to be, I just think, I think that's a huge series to keep, keep your eye on for sure. I do too. And that'll be at uh, eight. I think that'll be at seven o'clock tomorrow night of the Grizzlies uh, Lakers tip at six thirty. So now we're moving on. Um, I just actually have this on our rundown as Arkansas. <laughs> you have seen the transfer portal. In all caps. We got to change that to all caps. Is just Let's change that to all caps, Rob. Just so, Arkansas. Um, you know, I knew when, when the transfer portal happened, it was a thing. You knew a guy like Eric Musselman was going to succeed. He is – I mean, this is something he knows from being an NBA and free agency. I don't think I thought it was going to be like this. I mean, you look now, they've got five guys in. you got a guy in L. Ellis who is just an absolute bucket getter. they got Jeremiah Davenport from Cincinnati. they got Khalif Battle from Temple. I know you're extremely high on him. Uh, I'm, big on, I'm big on him. Tremont Mark from Houston. And then I think a sneaky guy for them, Keon Minifield out of Washington. Um, kind of what are your thoughts on this class right now for Arkansas and what they're forcing? So the big thing that – the big guy I'm looking out for, to be honest, is kind of an X-factor type player that watching him in the NCAA tournament, watching his length, um, I think a guy that is a good leader, I think a guy that can really handle the ball and a big point guard for you at 6'5", Tremont Mart, transferring from Houston – and obviously, you mentioned earlier Khalif Battle from Temple. Um, obviously, being from Memphis, being a, a Memphis Tiger fan, saw Khalif Battle against the Tigers twice. He had a big game against the Tigers uh, uh, when they played here in Memphis. Uh, the, the 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 Tigers kind of pulled away late, but he had a big game. You know, over twenty point performance. Uh, another a, a New Jersey kid. And if you look at the NCAA tournament this year. New Jersey kids won a lot of games in NCAA tournament this year. So, and, and, and a big shooting guard, 6'5 shooting guard. You look at Arkansas, you look that they're, they're going to be guard heavy, but you're looking at some length. You're looking at some, you're looking at some guys that can really get out and run and some guys that can really, I think, stretch the floor and make plays. And I think you have a guy like Traymond Mark, a guy like Kenyon Manifield coming in from Washington that can really run the point guard position and hold that down for them and be able to distribute and attack 
off pick and roll. Um, obviously, obviously, Coach Musselman really loves just if you look at them, you know, to be honest, you know, like typical guys in the corner, you know, a guy in the short corner, high ball screen, let guys make plays. So to be honest, that's what you got in this class right here. You got five transfers coming in that all can score, that are older players. And I think – I know they're all kind of playing the same position, but I think you're bringing in some diversity in their skill sets that can allow them to really mesh and be a, be a formidable opponent throughout the entire season next year for the Hawks. So that's going to be a fun team to really watch, keep your eye on if you're an SEC fan and you're, uh, you're from the Southeast. Is the UConn guard, whose name I always forget, isn't he from New Jersey too? Uh, 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 Caravan? Yeah, isn't he from New Jersey too? No, he's from, he's from Massachusetts. Okay, well, that's yeah. good. He'll be, a, he'll be a sophomore next year for, for Dan Hurley. Don't worry. When I start, when we start getting everything out, I'm going to have – his name is Alex Caravan on a whiteboard behind me. Um, <laughs> but I think another – a couple other some transfer news over the last two days. Obviously, we see uh, Stephen Ashworth, the transfer from Utah State, who it was forty percent from three with somebody guarding him, fifty percent in in transition. He transfers to Creighton. He'll fill the role left with Andrew Nimhard transferring out. You bring back Baylor Shireman to that team. You bring back Carl Brenner. Uh, I told you yesterday about this, and I and I really haven't backed off that. I think this. I think Creighton is a fringe Final Four team next year. I think they start the season in the top seven or eight in the country. I think so too. You got you got Ashworth coming back. You talked about Ryan Kalkbrenner um, or Kalkbrenner. He is a heck of a big guy. Um, really good at um, establishing position in the post. Really good at uh, high-low type plays, you know, spinning, sealing, putting a high, putting a high hand up, catching the ball, dunking the ball. He's – and a guy that can really run the floor. And then we're talking about Jaron Jackson in the NBA. He has that Jaron Jackson type length, someone that can switch on smaller guards, make it tough to shoot over, and someone that can really protect the rim. I think Creighton, getting that experience they got this year – it almost kind of remind me of the Celtics in a way. It just the Celtics got to the uh, the finals last year. I know, I know the uh, the Creighton Blue Jays are a game away from the Final Four, but I think getting to the Elite Eight this year is a confidence boost. You bring in a guy that can really score. They're going to be a tough team um, in the Big East next year for sure. The Big East is looking like the conference this year. I think. Yeah. I 100% agree with that. I think the Big East is going to be a really good conference. They're going to have a lot of noise around them, a lot of height. I know the ACC is going to be tough. Obviously, the Big Ten, the Big 12, always reloading. But I think when you look at just kind of some good, you know, some good talking points and and a lot of, you know, fun talking points, you got to look at the Big East this year in college basketball. I 100% agree. And then, uh, you know, we talked about Arkansas. You know, that moves their class to the number two class in the country for transfer. Number one class is still Press Virginia, Bob Huggins and West Virginia with the number one class. It's really being led by, by really, I mean, obviously Jesse Edwards, the center transferred out of IMG Academy, went to Syracuse for a year. He's going to West Virginia. But really, I think Kirk Risa a point guard out from Arizona. I think that's kind of the big transfer right now for them. I think they got – yeah, they got Jose Perez from uh, Manhattan as well. But 
I mean, you know, it, it's interesting to see Bob Huggins kind of embrace this portal. Um, and it'd be right. very interesting to see that work out. And, you know, again, you go with a team like West Virginia, you just talked about the Big 12. I think that I think they probably right now are, I'm not going to go out and say they're the favorite or one of the two or three favorites, obviously with Kansas, Baylor, Texas, all in there. I, you know, I think that's probably a little too early to say, but they're definitely going to be a, a team that's going to be up there, I think, the guys like this push them into the fold of, of getting to the NCAA tournament. Yeah, if you like big guys, it looks like depending on what Hunter Dickinson does, um, potentially uh, Kansas, potentially Maryland. Um, obviously, he's from Hyattsville, Maryland. Played it. He's a Dematha kid. So Maryland being kind of the home state, potentially landing him. But if you like big guys and you like guys that are really skilled in the post, um, Jesse Edwards, more of a defensive big, uh, rim protector, transferring from Syracuse, um, really played the rim protector position for Coach Beheim in the zone. But if you like a guy with good footwork, um, you like a guy that can really score down low, a true seven-foot big that can stretch the floor as well, Hunter Dickinson potentially going to Kansas, you're going to have some really good big guys in the Big 12 to look for this year. Well, and, you know, you talk about – you talk about kind of how Edwards played that that back of that zone for for Bayheim, you know, and, and again, you know, Huggins will get he'll go zone. I don't think he likes doing it, but he has shown the willingness to go zone in the past. So I think that he loves he loves to match up, loves to trap out of it for sure. Yeah, he does, and, and so that'll be interesting to see. But um, but he's, know, he's a big he's a big up the line passing lane. So I think bringing in another seven footer, I don't think he's had that seven footer since uh, Oscar Sheboy transferred out. Um, but you know, being able to full court press, being able to get in the passing lanes, he's got to have a big guy back there that is, you know, very smart and that can block shots without fouling. And I think he landed that when he got Jesse Edwards. Yeah, and today we'll go – I'll go ahead just go through the portal today since we are talking For sure. about today. Uh, just some of the people who entered, some of the people committed today, Jordan Ganey. Uh, 6'4 shooting guard goes from I don't uh, South Carolina upstate to Tennessee. Jalen Tyson from Texas Tech, four-star guard out of Plano, originally went to Texas Tech. He enters the portal today. Horan McPherson from Nebraska. It doesn't look like he really ever played. He entered today. Uh, then Alan Lubin from Notre Dame. He entered today. Carlos Stewart. Uh, four-star on, on three from Santa Clara goes from Santa Clara to LSU today. Um, Darian Williams, four-star out of Bishop Gorman, goes to from Nevada to Texas Tech. So uh, good wow. to see that uh, at least one player from the state of Nevada didn't actually end up at Iowa State. Um, <laughs> consider they landed two. Yeah, consider they landed two from one from UConn, uh, one from UNLV, one from Nevada. Andrew Rode, uh, 6'4", small forward from, I believe this is, uh, yeah, St. Thomas. He's a four-star. Wow. Okay. He goes to Virginia. Uh, Jason Nelson goes from Richmond to VCU. And then some other players entered that don't really matter. Um, kind of going through here. Doesn't really see any big names. Um I think every uh, – oh, wow, here we go. Ali Ali from a uh, four-star from Butler, uh, 93. Uh, he enters today into the portal. That'll be interesting. 
I will say this is for the Memphis fans out there. If you're looking for a potential transfer, someone to keep your eyes on, um, former teammate of Caleb Mills from Florida State who entered on uh, April 12th, uh, Matthew Cleveland, 6'6", 190 from Alfreda, Georgia, Hayes Academy. So potential Florida State transfer, entered the portal last week, and someone who's a teammate of Caleb Mills. So you never know how that ends up. You know, a lot of these guys sometimes will transfer with their teammates. So someone that can add – and fill a role definitely for Memphis potentially next year. So that's going to be a person, Matthew Cleveland from Alfreda, Georgia. If you're a Memphis Tiger fan, someone to keep your eyes on for sure. Absolutely. So now we'll change uh, change direction just a little bit. I want to go into our weekly football look at the football schedules for the top 25 teams. Today we're talking about Ohio State. Uh, Ohio State's kind of hard to judge right now because of the fact that they they didn't have a quarterback really. They didn't have the guy, the other guy going through the competition during the spring. He gets injured the last week, um, so that's it, it's kind of hard to say about that. Um, Devin Brown, obviously, and uh, Kyle McCord going through spring practice for the quarterback position. But we will go. I'll go through their schedule real quick. Right. Uh, start off the season with Indiana. At Indiana, I, I, that's a win. Then they play. They love that. They love that. They love that Indiana game to start the season, don't they? They're playing this one on Saturday and not Thursday. Um, I feel like they've gotten that one in the past a few times. Yeah, they have. Youngstown State week two, that'll be a W. Western Kentucky week three, that'll be a W. Then the game that's going to be circled on everybody's schedule. Saturday, September 23rd in South Bend, Indiana against Notre Dame. Um I still say it's probably – I lean Ohio State. I think they're probably talent profile while they're a little bit better. But Notre Dame's going to have a more experienced quarterback. With Sam Hartman transferring in from Wake Forest, um, they're going to have a lot of juice. I still have Ohio State right now in April. They win that game. But I think that'll be an interesting ball. Um, It'll be interesting at home just to see Notre Dame and – uh, with that transfer coming in from Wake Forest, it'll be interesting just to, just to see a year um, and how they a year later and just how they finish the season. I think Notre Dame could be a, they're going to be a tough team for sure. Absolutely. So that week they get a bye after that. Then the next the next home game they play. I think that'd be week five. They'll play or week six. They'll play Maryland at home. That'll be a W. Then they go to Purdue. And if you know anything about Ohio State going to Purdue. It never ends well for Ohio State. So definitely on upset alert there. Um, you know, right now I say they win, but again, I've said they've won other two other times and they've been torched by random no names that nobody ever heard of. Um, but again, I still have them winning. Uh, Saturday, October 21st, they'll play Penn State at home, not on the road. Uh, that'll be a tough game, but again, it's at home. October 28th, I think this is another one. Ohio State, a tough schedule this year, wow. Um, at Wisconsin, this will be Luke Fickle's first time to play Ohio State, his alma mater. Um, you know, this is going to be a tough game. Um, I call the upset here. I think Wisconsin gets it done. I think Wisconsin will beat Ohio State. Well, I think uh, defensively, you know, Luke Fickle is going to be putting a great defense on the on the field. You know, Luke Fickle is going to always recruit really good corners. If you look at some of his corners at Cincinnati and the success they're having in the NFL right now, 
So I think Luke Fickle, I could definitely set upset upset happening for sure. So then the next week they'll go to Rutgers in Piscataway where championship dreams used to go to die like 15 years ago. Uh, that's not the case anymore. I don't know that anybody – When South Florida was ranked two in the country? Yeah, that's exactly what I was talking about. But our quarterback named Matt Grothy in there. Everybody thought he was going to win the Heisman. He had like 100 yards passing. Uh, I don't – championship dreams sure don't go to, go to die there. I don't think anybody goes there anymore. Uh, the next week they'll play Michigan State at home. Um, Michigan State is not very good right now. There's no – I think that will be – I think that's a win for Ohio State. Minnesota at home the next week. I think that's a win. And then the game everybody has circled, the game at Michigan in Ann Arbor. I, I'll be honest, I don't see it. They couldn't do it with Dwayne Haskins at quarterback. Or not Dwayne, I'm sorry. They couldn't do it with C.J. Stroud at quarterback. Right, at and home. You're me, and you're telling me Kyle McCord or the Brown kid's going to be able to get it done? I don't believe that. I'm sorry. Do I think Marvin Harrison Jr. is an extremely great athlete? Yes. But a wide receiver cannot carry your team. And Michigan right now is just better. Michigan's built like an SEC team. Ohio State is not. And for that reason, I got them losing. Yeah, I think think McCarthy's ability to, you know, beat, you know, extend plays with his legs, definitely at home. And I think their, their ability to run the ball and their ability to play defense, I think Michigan State gets that win. So I think Ohio State, I could definitely see them at a 10-2 and two type season for sure. Well, and, and, you know, you go back to it and you hit the nail on the head. Their ability to run the ball. They have rammed it down Ohio State's throat for two years now, and Ohio State has not had an answer. I don't know. Nothing gives me just this great, just great sense of optimism they're going to be able to do it this year. Like, I just – I don't know what Ryan Day is doing, but he's not – you know, when Urban Meyer was there, he was trying to build a team that could beat SEC teams. Ryan Day looks like he's just trying to beat Big Ten teams. Right. He's trying to build a team that can just go outscore you. I know in the past made a lot of – last year made a lot of great strides defensively, got two good running backs as well, um, one of them being a Memphis kid uh, from Christian Brothers High School, going to be a sophomore. But – uh I think Michigan at home, I think uh, Harbaugh at home, I think J.J. McCarthy at home, I think that's all you need to hear. Big house on a Saturday um, in November, I think the, the Wolverines get it done. I, agree. I think the Wolverines are going to be in the, in the, play, in the uh, Big Ten Championship at Lucas Oil Stadium come December. Great spoiler alert for next week's podcast, folks, because we're talking about Michigan. <laughs> So uh, the Wolverines. So now we get to our top 10 list this week, sponsored by Hawaiian Tropics Silk Hydration After Sun. If you're like me and you forget to reapply, use that stuff because it will save your life. Uh, so top 10 list this week, we're going with toughest NBA arenas. I know I thought of that all by myself, just on the spot. I thought it was a great ad read for someone who's not sponsoring us. You woke up in the middle of the night and wrote that in right next to your bed to remind yourself about that probably one. Probably so, because I was probably in pain when I woke up in the middle of the night. <laughs> so, but today's top ten list, toughest NBA arenas. Uh, we wanted to do t- NBA best NBA cities, but it's kind of hard when you got multiple teams in some cities like L.A. and stuff like that. So, And right. then you have places like Minnesota. 
who just – I don't think anybody wants to go there. I remember one year the Grizzlies had to play there, and I think it was negative 20 at, like, tip or something. It was like you're in the polar vortex or something. Just imagine that was a well-attended game that night. I think we got beat by 20. Um, but uh, number 10 on the list, uh, Toronto. There, I don't know what it's – I think it's Scotiabank Arena now. It used to be called the Air Canada Center. I'm probably still always going to call it that. But, you know, that's a tough place to play. We saw it in the playoffs in 2019 and kind of sense that, you know, you go in there, it's a tough place to win. Right. You got Drake. You got Drake on the sidelines yelling at you. You've just been listening to him before the game trying to get hyped up. Then all of a sudden you think you think he's your boy and you look over there and he's letting you have it. So I think that's a, just, a, you know, an intimidating person to look over and see that's rooting against you for sure. Well, and it's a different it's a different fan base. It's in Canada. You know, the fans have been nice to you. They probably offered you Tim Hortons like eight times, but then they're politely telling you that you suck and you need to miss the shot. Politely, though, they're not. <laughs> they'll apologize after the game. Don't worry. Uh, <laughs> number nine, Utah, folks. If you watch the Last Dance, you probably say, "Well, they should be higher." Well. Thankfully, I think some of those fans have probably been disallowed from the arena at this point because back in the late 90s, that place was just an absolute hornet's nest to play. Um, but I think it's still it's still a tough place to play. Look, they love their basketball there. Um, and, you know, that's just – it's a tough place to play. Altitude can get to you. Um, Absolutely. And you if know, you're – probably could have put Denver on this list, but – I've watched like, them the playoff games, and they just they don't seem to really support that team. I like Utah at nine, just because you have a lot of things you got, you got to deal with. You got to first of all, you got a great team you got to deal with normally. You have, like you said, the altitude. Then you got to worry about the three a.m. pizzas that you have to deal with. Those, those are <laughs> those, those are those will get you in Utah for sure. So don't if you're an NBA player playing in Utah and you're hungry at three a.m., don't order a pizza and don't eat the pizza. Yeah, you're right. Go to Frank's Pizza in Houston, Texas. <laughs> but if you're in Houston and you're hungry, go to Frank's. Number, Frank's eight, number eight, Milwaukee. Uh, we debated on this one, but, you know, I think with their recent success, we've seen they, they can get good crowds. Like, I think that's one of those fan bases, like a couple more we have on this list, that, you know, they're kind of that new fan base. They weren't obviously always this good, but they've kind of shown that, hey, look, if you give us a good team, we're really going to support this. Right. And this is a G audience for sure, obviously. But when you have guys, the Green Bay Packers players on the side chugging beer and getting getting the guy, getting the, getting getting them hyped up. So that, that, gets the, that gets the energy going for sure in a big playoff game. Also, Aaron Rodgers, you can't chug a beer at all. <laughs> um, number seven. We have Phoenix. Uh, you know, you and I talked about this one as well. Phoenix has kind of been a team. They kind of went through the walls. Obviously, they're really good in those early 90s teams with Charles Barkley, Dan Marley. Um, really good with, obviously, the seven seconds or less team under Mike D'Antoni, Steve Nash. Um, and now kind of this new iteration of them, led by Monty Williams, Chris Paul, Devin Booker. Now KD's joined the fold there. Um, just kind of always been a very good fan base, though. They, they've always really supported that team. And uh, obviously watching tonight, uh, another great crowd in Phoenix. Um, and, and, you know, I just think – I think they kind of – they're a smart basketball fan base. They're not going to be 
you know, just absolutely awful, like a couple teams we have on this list. But they're going to um, – they're going to support their team and they're going to come out during the playoff game. Absolutely. Always looks like it's a packed house for these big playoff games. And then, um, obviously, it depends on who you have. Who you have on the court is going to determine who comes to the game. So, um, obviously, you bring in a guy like KD. You have great players in the past that could really score – they always seem to play an exciting brand. So I think that's, you know, fans like to see that. So I think Phoenix has been a tough place to play in the past for sure. Absolutely. Number six, we got Memphis. Um, obviously, Memphis people think that's probably too low, but you'll understand when you see the other five on the list. Um, the grindhouse, obviously, from 2012 to 2016 was, I don't think any NBA team wanted to come play there, especially the Los Angeles Clippers because they literally were booed out of the building every time. Um, the floppers, so, remember? Yeah, floppers. I mean, you know, but, I mean, go back to those. Whoop that clip. Yeah, whoop that clip was a thing. I Also, they were not saying whoop. They were saying something else. But <laughs> for, for to not get banned by the FCC, we'll say it was whoop. Uh, but, you know, you go back to just the, the vibe in the building with the growl towels, um, obviously – they thankfully Memphis decided to act shirts because nobody ever wore them. Um, they, they went with something that worked, but that's just a tough place to play, you know. And now with the exciting brand of basketball they play, I think it's gotten it's gotten even bigger now. It's you know, it's it's people, it's it's that mix of those old grindhouse people with these new kind of superstar jaw people, and it's just it's a great mix in that building. Right. You have the toughness aspect of just, uh, you know, playing, playing the game physical, um, playing the game, play, playing the game scrappy, kind of being that X factor energy type guy that the Grizzlies always had, like a Tony Allen, a Zebo that played physical. But then you get then, then you're right. You bring in the guys that can make the deep three like uh, Desmond, Ga- Desmond Bain. You have the guy that can make the uh, electrifying dunk to get the crowd going like a John Morant. You have Jaron Jackson who can get the big block or even the big dunk off a lob from John Morant. It's a great, uh, great duo that we have building here that we're that we've built and we're going to continue to build here in Memphis for sure. Number five, Oklahoma City. Um, I mean, this this was pretty self-explanatory. Yes, I know they allegedly pumped sound in. Um, I won't comment on that. Uh, but I mean, you look at that place from 2011 to to 2016, I mean, that was without a doubt the toughest place in the NBA to play. I mean, that those fans were insane. They came, they showed up. I mean, it was just, it was absolutely, the. I mean, I think it was Loud City was what they called it. I mean, and it right. was, it and was, Thunder Up, Thunder Up. Yeah, I mean, it was just one of the worst places you could go as a playoff team. I mean, they just absolutely, the noise in there was just second to none right and the swagger the swagger and confidence that Russell Westbrook played in at home when he played for the Thunder was just it was absurd just absolutely I mean that place that place fueled him and that was that was a tough that was a tough place for anybody to play so now number four I debated putting Golden State on here because obviously I don't think the Chase Center has that same aura that the Oracle did um but it's look, it's still the Warriors. They get that annoying Warriors chant going on, which oh my <laughs> gosh, I hate that chant. Um, 
Also, uh, breaking news while we're recording. We've never had one of these before. Draymond Green suspended game three for the uh, whatever you want to call it on. Um, wow. Bonus. Awful. Kind of apropos, we're talking about Chase Center wow. as, we, as we get that. Um, but That's you know, big that's, news for them. Yeah, absolutely. But, you know, I, I think it's still a tough place to play, folks. They're still going to show up. They're still going to show out. They're still going to be extremely loud. And, uh, you know, you look at – they've had absolute great success. I mean, it's, it's hard to replicate the success, and their fans know it, and they make their fans feel part of it. Absolutely. You have a market. They're will, they're, they have a winning market. They have a winning culture. They've won a lot. So, they, they have – it's kind of like Alabama football. You show up, you expect to win the game. So I think that helps just the vibe in the arena. A lot of confidence in that arena when they when the when the Warriors are running out on the court for sure. Absolutely. Number three, light that beam. I absolutely love Sacramento. I love him being good again. It is a fun, fun atmosphere. It's like we've talked about earlier. I'm fairly certain some of those fans did not leave. But I mean, that play Saturday night, especially Saturday night, it looked great last night. But I mean Saturday night was just on an absolute other level. That place was loud. They had cowbells. They were ringing three feet from Bob Meyer's ear. I mean, you just – that's a tough place to play basketball right now. And it was in when it was Ar- in Arco all those years ago. But, I mean, this new place is just absolutely insane when this team is winning. Absolutely. When you have to deal with this the whole game, when, yeah, you're a, exactly. when you're an owner and you have a guy ringing a cowbell in your ear, <laughs> Rob Rob's good at that at state games. The, the hey, look, I haven't taken a cowbell in a game like eight years. So I just <laughs> want to point that out to everybody. But, yeah, don't worry. I've done that exact thing but before. When you're bringing cowbells to basketball games, you're in the top three. Correct. <laughs> Number two. I mean, they pelted Santa Claus, for gosh sakes. I mean, we got to put Philadelphia on there. Uh, you know, they run out to Dreams and Nightmares by Meek Mill, which I'm sure has to be the most in- – and generally, Meek Mill is sitting courtside. So, like, you have that intimidation factor going for you. And then their fans, they'll boo their own team. So, imagine what they'll do to you. Um, Philadelphia is just a tough town. It's a it, – it just in general, but uh, just a great town. Back to the pizza in Utah. Don't that's obviously rule number one. Don't eat a pizza in Utah. And rule number two, don't wear a Ben Simmons jersey at a Philadelphia 76ers home game. I don't know. I think that could I think that could extend to like two or three franchises at this point. Just don't wear a Ben Simmons jersey. I'm pretty sure the Nets would probably say the same thing, but I, I don't know. Philadelphia might actually be happy if you're wearing a Ben Simmons jersey. Hey, he doesn't play for our team anymore. We don't care. <laughs> But uh, that's a tough place to play. And then the Ben, Simmons, one, the ben Simmons jump jump shot breakdown coming when again? Whenever he gets one. <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> but <laughs> man, shots fired. <laughs> but number one on the list, I think it's been number one on the list for like forty years now. Uh, ever since you, the air conditioning broke. In uh in the NBA Finals, uh Boston, I mean this this town, they expect winning, they love their Celtics and they hate every other team. They they're the fans that they half of them probably don't watch 
uh, any other NBA team. There's a re- look, folks. There's a reason these people are called massholes, and their slogan is "fences make good neighbors." They don't like each other, and they definitely don't like you. They got the greatest courts. I've always loved the the Celtics court, the Boston Garden. Tough place to play, and the Celtics win a lot of games there. So, and they've won a lot of championships. So that's why we went with the Boston Celtics at number one on the list for toughest places to play in the NBA. Well, folks, that does it again. We will be back with you, thankfully, before Ben Simmons gets a jump shot. We hope to be back with you at some point later in the week. That is all. Signing off.